Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, my father suffers from Alzheimer's. Last Christmas, as my dad and mom were leaving church, my dad, a lifelong active member of the LCMS, said to my mom, That last song was beautiful. What is it called? Fighting back her tears, my mom said, It's called Silent Night. I mourn this slow losing of my father. But grief was not the only reaction to hearing that story from my mom. In some strange way that I understand but cannot really explain to you, I actually felt a little twinge of envy toward my father. What would it be like, I continue to muse, to hear Silent Night for the first time? Now, I know the fallacy of this kind of thinking. How could I appreciate a first hearing of Silent Night the way I imagine I would if I had not grown up hearing Silent Night since before I can remember? Yet there is still something to this. The pleasure grows more rare with age and experience of hearing that new and hauntingly beautiful melody, of hearing that perfect turn of phrase, that insight that changes everything. It's an envy akin to what I feel watching you students making discoveries before my eyes. And it's a fraternal twin to the frustration of the preacher who has to preach on an old text. What would it be like to hear for the first time the words, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain? What images would or could come to our minds if we did not immediately and automatically think of cursing and swearing or praying and praising? I would never claim that Luther has not expressed the meaning of the commandment, nor would I claim that his explanation has exhausted it. It seems to me there is something almost absurd about this second commandment. It seems to me that it is almost the dynamic equivalent of me telling my children, do not use nuclear weapons in vain. Has the Lord God Almighty truly placed at my disposal the name of him who created the heavens and the earth? Is this name now mine to use for good or ill, this name at which every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth shall bow, this holy and awesome name which to profane is to cut oneself off from God? This name of him who treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, 
this name in which is healing, life, salvation, justification, forgiveness. This name is now given to me to use, and God then suggests that I use it wisely. So it would seem. While you're thinking about all that, let me point out one other curious thing about this commandment. That the expression, take the name, is awkward and a little unusual is proven by the fact that few modern English translations are willing to use it. It is not an extremely common phrase in Hebrew either, although the meaning is clear enough. We have little trouble understanding what it means to use something in vain. The older translation, however, allows for a play on words that I think scripture would also allow us here. Because there is a sense in which the phrase, in which we use the phrase, to take a name. But it has little to do with lying, swearing, deceiving, or the arts of Satan. We don't generally think of infants taking a name because they don't generally take, they usually receive. But kings and popes take names and brides and adopted sons. And I doubt that I'm the only person here in this room this morning who is known by different names in different parts of the world. To take a name is to decide to be called by a name, often a new name. It is the conscious decision made known to all around you that from this day forward, this name best expresses your identity, your calling, your whole being, and that from this day forward, it is to this name that you will answer. Perhaps we have never heard the second commandment quite like this before. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. We are the Advent people of our God. We are the church of the denouement. We are history's epilogue, pun intended. We are the ones who've seen the sneak preview. We've read the climax and then skipped ahead and taken a peek at the last chapter. We've seen what's on the other side of the mountain. We've tasted the banquet while it's still in the kitchen. We are the ones who have taken the name of the Lord. We are baptized into it. We pray in it. We proclaim it. And we print it on our T-shirts and license plates. There is no doubt we have taken his name. Have we taken it in vain? Every Advent, our ever-patient and long-suffering God gives us grace to ask this question of ourselves again. Now, we've just heard read Psalm 25, verses 1 through 10. The ascription to the psalm could easily have said, Of David, for Advent. 
and is the cry of one desperately clinging to hope of vindication. It is a prayer for guidance in light of all the missteps of the past and in light of the tracklessness of the future. It is a plea that God will remember and not remember. And it ends with strength for the journey, a self-reminder of God's goodness and love and faithfulness, and it's one verse too short. Why should God do all this for our Advent psalmist? Why especially on this, the first Friday of Advent and the festival of the second commandment? Verse 11 tells us, For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. For the sake of your name. The name we have taken is the name, the only name, that moves the good and righteous Lord to forgive sin. And we've taken it upon ourselves to bear this name in and to the world. How are we doing? Are we taking the name purposefully, meaningfully, fruitfully? Does the name Christian, the Christ-like one, the belonging to Christ one, the Christ representative, does that name describe our identity? Or more to the point, how do our lives define the name of Christ for those who see it on us? For if this name is emptied of its meaning, if this name becomes vain, nothing more than a puff of breath, what hope is left? How are we doing? How am I doing? Teachers are warned never to ask questions in class that they cannot answer. Perhaps the same is true for preachers, but I cannot answer these questions for you. And I cannot dismiss them with an easy, it doesn't matter, God loves you, everything's okay. In this situation, that too would be a useless use of the name. It does matter. God does love you. God does forgive you. But it does matter how you and how we all are doing as we take his name. These questions will not go away. And we must pray they don't. We need them. And we need to give them the time they deserve. And this is the time. The Advent prophets call us to repentance. And though repentance is more than just thinking again about things, being repensive, so to speak, it should at least include thinking long and hard about things. The quiet, dark, and long nights of Advent give us the perfect opportunity to ponder our taking of his name. Just as the ever-shortening days of Advent remind us that the time for us to accomplish our work will very soon come to an end. This Advent, 
Let us watch. Let us pray. And let us ask ourselves, are we, as God's presence in the world, as God with them, and am I, as an individual son of God, taking his name in such a way that the world finds in that name forgiveness of sins and life and salvation? Is that name being glorified in me as it was glorified in my Lord Jesus? And when my Lord Jesus comes in judgment, will everyone I love, everyone I know, everyone I've come into contact with be able to cry out with me for the sake of your name, O Lord, for the sake of your name. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.